Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. Vincent is the co-founder of FutureWork Studio, a tech and consulting company helping organizations navigate the rapidly changing workscape by equipping them with the tools and thinking they need to thrive now and in the future. Vincent has deep expertise in large-scale transformations across multiple industries and sectors globally, having been with McKinsey & Company for a number of years before moving into the corporate sector, where he led the strategic capabilities and future of work function for Fonterra, a $20 billion organization with more than 22,000 employees globally. As an officer in the French Armed Forces, Vincent also spent more than a decade leading teams in challenging situations across many parts of the globe. Vincent has a master's degree in statistics and data analytics, an MBA from the University of Melbourne, and speaks fluent English and Portuguese in addition to his native French. Vincent was one of two inaugural TEDx Auckland Salon in the Dark Speakers in 2019, a world first event for TEDx, and is also a member of the Singularity U Global Expert Faculty, speaking regularly on the future of work topic. With you now, our host for this podcast, Kelly Forbes. Vincent, welcome to the podcast. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. So why don't we start with the term future of work? What does that mean for you? Well, it means a lot of things. Um, but I think the most important thing in, in, in the future of work is to recognize that, uh, that it's already here to start with. Uh, and, and that um, all the organization basically are grappling with that term and, and what to do with it. And, and it doesn't need to be like a massive transformation to actually get going. I think like everything, uh, the first step is critical and the first step doesn't need to be a massive leap. It can be a small step. And so that's, that's really to me, the, the companies that are really getting that are preparing their workforce for it and making them future fit, not by launching big, massive transformations, but by actually acknowledging that the transformation is, on a, is an everyday job and everyone uh, needs to be on the journey. So I think future of work, everyone's using it. Um, you know, it's, it's the future that's already here and, and that's about changing the way we work. Uh, because it's it's not really fit for purpose, uh, specifically in, in, in today's workplace. Yeah, so during your TED Talk last year, you've touched on, you know, some of these challenges that we are facing now. Um, and I think that came to light during COVID as well. Uh, a lot of the organizations realized uh, that we had to embrace technology and move forward to be able to really succeed in the circumstances. So... Um, can you tell us what, what do you think is wrong with the way that we work now and where do we need to go? 
Yeah, and and I think the way we work now, you know, it's been defined probably 50 years ago or 100 years ago with the the the, the third, you know, uh, revolution or industrial revolution, and and it was fit for purpose at the time where uh, challenges were were not, uh, you know, changing every day. So you had like one or two big challenges in, you know, uh, a year or, or something like this, or maybe even even less. Um, and and organizations, uh, you know, where we're basing everything on risk and how do we mitigate risk and how do we have people that have done that five times or 10 times and how do we value experience more than anything else? Because if you've solved a complex problem, chances are you're going to solve that again, again, and again. I think today what's happening is the challenges are coming from everywhere. Uh, you know, be different generation working at the same time being COVID and we're probably going to talk about it later. Uh, be, you know, climate change, uh, be different expectation uh be a lot of things that are happening and, and companies have to solve for all that because work and life is so much intertwined now with you know mobile phone and everything everyone is always like always on or off but more on than off really um and, and i think the work hasn't changed you know and and, and, and specifically like well, work itself has changed but the way we do it hasn't so we still go to an office we still, you know, have a manager. We're still managing people. Uh, we still have a job description, uh, and, and pretty much that—that that is the construct that everyone comes in. Uh, some people still have a desk, believe it or not, that is their desk, uh, yeah. and 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 everything else is moving so fast that there is a massive disconnect, right? Even like going to an interview in person with someone—it's just like, what do you mean? Can't we just? Uh, you know, do that online or like, why would you do this? Just just look me up and, and see if the skills I have are, are relevant or give me problems that I want to crack and then, and then I can crack them. So I think the way we work uh, is not fit for purpose today where problems are different, new, more complex, and you need a lot of collaboration and a lot of people working on bits and pieces as opposed to someone owning everything and trying with a set of resource with a constrained capability and capacity to solve bigger problems. I think that's the key issue there. Yeah. And plus, now we have technology, right? Which is supposed mm -hmm. to be making our lives work, everything in general, more efficient. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you can watch a movie on, on your phone uh, and, and you have like thousands of, of movies available. Anything, knowledge, internet, everything is there. So technology has, has helped us, uh, but yet we see we see too much of um, you know all, all technology kind of fo focusing on how do we click more or how do we see things that polarize people. It's just that like cluttered the brain, seeing every day on Twitter and elsewhere like this polarization of people saying I love and I hate. Yeah, it, it's it's just a big strain as well on people, and we can talk about that later on mental well-being and, and all of that. But um, but I think technology is definitely there and can help. It's not used enough in the way we work. So we use technology, but we haven't changed the way we work based on technology. You know, and, and that's still the, the big issue. I mean, the thing we, we talk about a lot uh, in the work I do most with clients is really looking at, you know, 10 years ago, people had, enough, had a desk and that was their desk. And now, you know, it's very rare who has a desk, but everyone's used to it. But it didn't come overnight, right? And, and technology has helped with that as well because it's so hard to manage on an Excel spreadsheet who goes where. And so everything is technology related. With work, you still have someone who's responsible for something within an organization. And that's that person's job to do. 
And you go, but why can't we share that with others? Like, why do you have to be the one in finance doing all this all the time? I mean, could you be doing 80% of that and 20% of other things with all the skills you have? You know, and that's where technology can come and play a critical role to really accelerate the change and the future feed of that workforce to really leverage and engage all the brains on different problems, but not in a static way, in a yeah. very fluid and flexible way. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about, you know, very much how aligned that is the need for people to be able to contribute in different areas, different roles. Um, that is very, very much aligned to mm. the, where education needs to go and in That's terms right. of people upskilling. And we're going to talk about that later. But, uh, you know, being able to, you know, have that interdisciplinary collaboration. So it's not just, you know, technologist is talking about technology or right or hr and hr so it's a very much right. uh, bigger co cooperation that, that we don't really well, see yet and especially because people like when you look at the workplace a lot of people are disengaged right and when you kind of double click on this and say well why are people disengaged are they not really happy with the work they're doing or they're not happy with the company and most of it is, is actually not that It's just the monotony of doing the same thing all the time. And the brain is not built for this. The brain is built for varieties, built for like different challenges. So if it's repetitive and you do the same thing all, all the time, that's not how we should work as humans. But that's how our workforce and that's why that's how our workplace is constructed. It's constructed on you need to do the same thing because it's just simpler. Right. But in fact, people crave for, for diversity, crave for doing different things. And it can all bring. I mean, if you talk to anyone that works in a large organization, you go, hey, do you have other skills that you could be contributing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I do is, is you know, 30, 40% of what I could be doing, actually, because I know how to do a lot of things. What I just don't know is what are the problems that others are solving that I can help with. And that's yeah. where technology can help. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think, and that's a big question, how do you think COVID has influenced this space? I think COVID is influenced in two ways. I think the, 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 in, in, in the workplace, I think the first one is it has accelerated uh, the, the change and the transformation everywhere. Uh, it's not a question of like, oh, should we, you know, do more remote working? It's like, uh, how do we do it? Because we're going to be remote now yeah. uh, and it's not going to go tomorrow. Uh, and even we see the progress of vaccines and everything. I mean, we're still going to have the impact of COVID for the next uh, you know, few years, at least uh, globally. So I think there were different stages where people were like, okay, how do we do that? It's going to be very complicated. In fact, it's not really. People like are ready for it. The technology is there. And most companies had it. It was the penny dropped and basically say, okay, well, now we have to do it. And humans are really good when they're forced to do something to actually make it happen. It's the procrastination to get there or the, oh, let's, let's do that you know, when, when we have to, when we're forced to. Right? So I think that has accelerated in, in that sense. Um, the other thing is, I think people realize that, uh, that the, um, like human connections are critical, right? Like, I mean, we're all on zoom all the time and there's a massive zoom fatigue. I think people are recognizing that fully home or fully at the office is wrong. Yeah. It's in between. And it's like, so if I'm in the office, is there a point me spending eight hours in the office? If I'm in isolation at my desk for eight hours, talking to no one, no. Right. There's no point going there. But actually, if I want to really interact with people and build these connections that I need, it's actually probably good to be in person in the office. So a lot of people have realized that there is a value 
in being in the office, but needs to be rethought. Uh, and we're seeing now companies and even customers and clients of ours starting to change the way their office is set up to reattract people in it and to make it more uh, relevant for today's uh, you know, workforce, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, very, very interesting to observe, even industries like the legal industry, which was mm. really, um, you know, hesitant about embracing technology and moving forward in that sense. And, and now having, you know, large international firms where people uh, have managed this and are actually working, you know, very efficiently. So, mm -hmm. you know, they will go in when, like you said, it's necessary. They have to sign something. They have to be in person to meet a client. But, you know, a lot can be done uh, from anywhere, really. Absolutely. And, and we're seeing a lot of innovation there as well. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, th those video games that are coming up uh, that are not games, but they're gamified, let's say, where you can see your workplace and, and, you know, you can put any shape you want there, but you can see where people are and what they're doing. So you can like, literally move your avatar and go into, uh, you know, rooms and then interact with someone like the bump meeting that's missing on, on Zoom. I think when, when I'm talking to a lot of employees, Uh, that are uh, back in the workplace because, you know, in New Zealand, Australia, we're lucky to, to be in a COVID-free uh, almost for a period of time uh, environment until the next outbreak. Um, but, um, but those people were, it's, it's quite interesting. When they were home, they felt a bit more safe because they know that their managers wouldn't come up at any point in time to ask them something because they had to book a meeting, which <laughs> is always the case when you're at the, you know, when you're the boss or you're at the top of the hierarchy. But when you look down, no one has to book any meeting to talk to their team. People just go randomly and go, hey, yeah. what are you doing? Can yeah. I have a chat? And, and that's quite, for a lot of people, it's quite uh, stressful. Uh, yeah. And they didn't have that at home. So they're trying to put all those norms now back in the workplace. Uh, and, and for the one remotely, I think there has been a huge improvement on integrating people that are remote. So, for example, some companies, instead of having the traditional meeting where, you know, 80% are in person and then the 20% that are on the phone are kind of like, oh yeah, they're over there, but they don't really interact with anyone apart from like answering questions. Now, everyone is online, even though they're in the office, if they're having a meeting when one person is, is not in, in person, which makes a huge difference because the connection is the same for everyone else. So you don't have like, you know, jokes that can be all, all only done within the, the, the space. So yeah. it's, it's really changed the way people interact. Yeah, fascinating. Um... Now, why don't we dive into the use of AI across, yes. um, across the, you know, this enterprise landscape. So what are some of the, you know, top AI use cases you see, which are enabling the future of work? And as you were actually talking about that before, I was thinking about, you know, I, I'm personally quite excited about seeing technologies like virtual reality come into place where, you know, meeting or conversations like we're having now would feel like basically we're in front of each other right so you know yes. that connection will be more possible and, and you know that would just facilitate um a lot of a lot of our work yes definitely um well i'm seeing a, a lot of things happening in in that space in terms of uh, a lot of companies are, are playing with with ai uh, a lot of companies are uh, you know buying ai or building it in-house um i i think There are um, two ways you can think about AI. One is, uh, you know, the real true AI players are really large countries like China, US, 
uh, and a big Europe because of the size of the data that they can have and really mine that in a successful way uh, yeah. and the amount of computer power that's required to get there, which the true, the true transformation will come from those places. I think a lot of other people are benefiting from models that already exist, but I see too many organizations going into that black box and say, oh, I've bought this algorithm and you know, it's going to give me a recommendation and I can do all this. And you're like, do you know how it works? And they go, yeah. no, but it seems to be working really well. And I think that's where the issue starts to uh, arise. Um, not everything is solved by an algorithm that you just buy off the shelf, right? Yeah. And so um, even with us, like internally, you know, uh, the way we've went about it is um, we're building our own, our own algorithm because we'd rather take more time, but we understand everything because we want to take care of, uh, you know, parameters like diversity, uh, you know, uh, how do we have an equal chance for everyone? If you don't know what the algorithm does, you don't know what the recommendation will be, right? Yeah. And if you base everything on that recommendation, you can go down a path that will not lead you to where you want to go with everyone. You might arrive, but you might be on, on your own, right? And, and I think Amazon early days, I've seen that in the recruitment space where there is this famous, famous experiment where, um, you know, they were asking the algorithm, well, what kind of people are successful at Amazon? predict and tell us who we should hire. And turns out they were all middle-aged white men from yeah. Ivy League schools. And they're like, well, apparently that's, that's the thing. So we should do that. And they go, and someone said, well, <laughs> what, what is that based on? It just uh, sounds a bit odd. Uh, what is that based on? And they say, well, based on the successful people we have here. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's fundamentally flawed. Like you're not taking a full data set. You're taking a sample of people that were successful here that's not the full spectrum. And then when they realize that, of course, they ditched the algorithm and they said, well, we need to build that from scratch. And, and now they're way better. But, but that's one of the pitfalls that a lot of companies can, can get into because not, not everyone is very savvy in AI and, and, and machine learning and data science. And it's very complex as well. Like I see, yes. uh, I see a lot of companies going there and saying, oh, I, I just need you know hire a data scientist and, and this is the answer I want. This is not as simple as this. Like you still need to define the problem, understand all the intricacy of what you want to, to define, and then you can start building something and, and, and training the machine. But it's not uh, off the shelf uh, to plug a, a gap quickly. And, and I mean, with all the work you do with, with the, the Institute, you, you see all that. But I think for a lot of people and a lot of leaders that might be watching this, uh, it's a watch out. Yeah, it's not obvious, right? And I think no. a, a, a big important step there and, and sometimes that's not, the work is not done in the proper way. It's, the, it's, it's not that you, you, you might be, you know, deploying the perfect AI solution, but if you're training that and you're not aware of, you know, the existing data and how that's monitoring and responding. And like you said, what are the, you know, how did they arrive at that decision and who are the people affected by this? Then, then you're missing a big part of it. And which is what's exactly happening, right. right? Because I think like large organizations deploy that system and because they have a history of, you know, um, hiring processes and, you know, in the past that automatically will do that same thing, but in a much larger scale. Exactly right. And the impact could be, uh, you know, devastating, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you, you can see it like people used to, and they still do, uh, when there's a big problem, they just throw money at the problem and we can solve it. It actually doesn't really solve anything. It makes the problem maybe worse or, you know, not sustainable. Uh, I think understanding the problem and then finding different perspective, bringing diverse uh, background experience, 
culture into the mix to, to figure out the answer is actually way more powerful. And then the machine can optimize this. But the machine is not going to answer every question, any question. I mean, you look at uh, in our space, for example, um, especially like not, not recruitment, but uh, staffing people, projects and things like these people ask us like, why, why don't you spend time asking questions and, and build a skill repository? And then from that, you can build a competency framework. And then from that, you can do the same for, and you kind of go, well, but that's the wrong way of, of going about it. If I want someone to solve a problem, I just need to show that person the problem and build my algorithm to make sure that more people see the problem and more people see the relevant problem for them. And then I can learn from this, right? Just like Netflix doesn't, when you log in the first time, ask you 55 questions before you can actually see any movie. They don't go, hey, what kind of uh, uh, type of movie do you like? When do you stop in a movie? Uh, tell me the, the top 10 movie you've ever watched and why. Like no one would do this. They just yeah. show you a lot of movies and then they, they refine the recommendation based on what you're likely to be wanting to see and then they learn from that. So I think that, that that's the, the whole, um, you know, they pivoted the whole model from asking nothing and observing to, um, to really recommending and being relevant all the time. Yeah. Now, like you said, this is a very complex problem. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, a one-off solution that, you know, a lot of the organizations sometimes expect. So no. what, is, what is your uh, experience in trying to explain this? And how do you think that, you know, organizations are embracing this process? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's still a bit of education uh, you know, that all of us uh, have to go through and, and try and error to, to some extent. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of organization recruiting the, the right type of people, but it's sometimes at the expense of others. And so, uh, you know, I, I would want to see more organizations thinking about their workforce as a whole and the, the whole capability that they have, uh, as opposed to say, well, clearly we don't have data scientists, so we need to hire a data scientist, right? And, and I've seen many organizations hiring 10, 10 data scientists because there was a particular problem. Uh, and then those, those data scientists become, uh, you know, analysts. And then next thing you know, they're producing the board reports. Well, that's not a really good use of, of a data scientist, right? Um, yeah. But equally in the organization, there are a lot of people that could uh, start to be uh, educated more in that, um, in that space. Uh, but it's, it's never done because it's, the perception is, oh, no, it's, it's probably like five or 10 years of study to get there. And it's actually not. It's the combination of skills that make it uh, very important. So, yes, you need a data scientist, but you also need a developer. You also need someone who understands the business. You need a translator. I mean, there are plenty of roles that you could be creating within the organization from within as opposed to ditch a part and, and get to the and, and just hire from outside, which I think is, is a big, big uh, watch out for all of us. Uh, like, how do we bring everyone with us in that transformation as opposed to uh, leave a lot behind? Yeah, which brings me to the question around automation. So many experts maintain that AI will wipe out a huge portion of work as we've known it. Do you agree? And what, what's your position on this? Yeah, I think yes and no, right? <laughs> Which is the safe answer. Uh, no, but so yes, in the sense that, um, you know, there were studies and, and, and when I was at McKinsey, we, we did a lot of those studies or I've read a lot of the studies that were published at the time, which, which was, um, you know, if you take all the tasks 
that people are doing within their jobs and you just take the tasks and you look at all the technology available in the next five years, they were saying that, you know, 80, 90% of those tasks could be automated. Therefore, uh, people thought then, you know, 90% of jobs would be irrelevant. They would be gone. Now, what they've done subsequently is to say, well, no, actually, it's not the case. When we re-aggregate that into the current jobs, in fact, only 20% of those jobs are fully automatable, but 80% are not. But what we're seeing is all jobs will be automated 20, 30%, right? Which again, will create way more flexibility within organizations, but also a bit of chaos if you're not prepared. Yes. Right. So what we work a lot with organizations is to bring them along that journey of saying, this will happen in the next five years. This is already happening. How do you have, how do you build in this buffer in everyone's job where yes, you're, uh, you're in finance. So you're doing now, instead of doing hundred percent of finance, you're going to do 80% and 20%. You can choose to do something else that you're passionate about, that you're good at, that you want to learn. And it's incredible how little effort is needed when this is the, the premise to which you start with. People have amazing skills that they want to contribute that they can't tap into. And a lot of our customers call that dormant skills. Like those are skills that I have, I never use at work. But when I use them, oh my God, I'm amazed. I love it, right? Yeah. And so, so that's really, that, that, that's really the, the, this big thing that, that, that we need to see because as a whole, organizations are way more productive when they tap into this. And then that's really where we can see and bring everyone to the party as opposed to just a selected few. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, of course, that brings us to, you know, a lot of difficult questions as well, right? About inequality. And I think you, you touched on, you know, mental health there in the beginning of, you know, how do we actually use technology in a way that benefits us, that you're not just, you know, um, scrolling through things without, you know, paying attention to, you know, how that's actually affecting you. And so right. on. So, um, so what what do you see are uh, the main challenges that that we are going to see? So, let's say when we're thinking about the next five years, right? In this process, from where we are now, with organizations knowing what they know, so there's a lot of education still mm -hmm. happening. We mm -hmm. know that you've you've been collaborating with us here as part of the institute with your work. So, in the next five years, what are the main challenges there that people will need to you know mitigate well i think there's a macro challenge that we're seeing at the moment and and we were talking with my co-founder just before uh there is there will be uh productivity will go down overall because we will not have enough people so if you look at birth rate it's actually declining in new zealand that's the first time that's under two now uh and, and we have we will have less people to just keep going the way we're going. But in fact, we need way more to continue to grow, right? And so we will need all the machine, all the AI to complement all the work of all the human beings that are already working, right? So I think that's the macro challenge. So people that are afraid of AI to replace their job, I would say, no, actually we'll need way more robots, way more AI to keep having this productivity increase that we want uh, to keep our, our lifestyle and everything else going well in the world we're in. So that, that's the first element, which, which is quite worrying. So people need to embrace technology rather than fear it. The second one is, um, you know, how do we actually make sure everyone has a choice in there as well and, and can start upskilling, 
you know, and upskilling can't be like a, a big word that, that, that everyone's worried about or, or a program run by HR somewhere. It needs to be at the core of what people do and say, what do you mean you're not learning something new? You know, it's almost like, you know, you look at the education system where everyone learned from like, let's say 15 years. And then for some reason, everyone stops. Like, well, I've learned everything I need to know. You're like, really? Because everything's changing every day. How, how, how come have you stopped? Well, I don't have time. Right? Yeah. And so I think it's like building that as part of the normal routine. Like a lot of people go to the gym because they want to keep being fit. It's not just something like, oh, I've been fit for 10 years. Why bother now? I don't need to go to the gym anymore. Like, no, well, no, if you want to stay fit, you want to keep going there. Uh, and so that's the same thing with, with, with work. Like how do you keep having 10, 20, 30% of your day, of your week, that's based on learning something new? How do we unlock everything within organizations so then people can pick and not being defined? We've seen in the US, uh, it was seven years ago uh, when, when a, a lot of um, the first wave of automation came, uh, a lot of people in, in the center were making decisions for people and basically saying, well, this part of the workforce, we're going to retrain them and give them opportunities to get a degree and this and that. This didn't, didn't really work. I mean, we've seen Walmart paying for degrees at university and say, hey, all employees, if you want to go to universities, we're paying for it. Few people actually took the offer. Because yeah. like, well, we, we, don't, we don't really want to spend three years you know, at university or four years learning something new. What we want is micro things, things that we can learn and get the reward straight away, right? Or seeing the impact of it. And I think we need to de-aggregate the, those massive, uh, you know, upskilling program to like micro credentials, micro bits of work that are palatable, just like we're doing with everything else. You know, you don't go on Facebook and read pages of updates or, you know, a full album. Every day you look at one picture, two picture or more, but everything has been chunked into bite size. And I think learning needs to be the next cab of the rank. And there are a lot of companies that are doing this, uh, you know, to, to, to do this. But I think the next challenge is how do you bring that when it's relevant to people? So if, I, if I'm, you know, at work and I want to, and I'm in marketing and I want to work in finance, I might have some skills to do this, but I might want to have uh, some learning to accompany me on, on the journey. And I think having the learning when it's appropriate and when I need it is the key to unlock. And that's where AI can actually play a key role there to actually unlock the learning and the, the collaboration when it matters, not in, in block, not, not when, when it doesn't. Yeah. And also making the time available, right? Because you're no longer having to do a lot of the admin tasks. So right. that frees you up to, you know, um, occupy that time with, um, you know, upskilling or learning uh, new skills. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So, and that learning process, I would say it's critically that that also touches on, you know, early education. So, and, and I think in that sector, we still have a lot of work to do as well. So, you know, we, we collaborate here with an university in Australia that is doing a fantastic work, which is they've created a center that brings, you know, interdisciplinary um, collaboration. So, you know, you have for the first time, law students learning about technology, artificial intelligence uh, implications and all, which, you know, before we didn't really, no yep. one ever got exposed to something that wasn't within your degree there, right? Yeah, and I think we need more, uh, more generalists, you know, like if I'm, if I'm thinking back to uh, the, the model that I was educated into, which is the, the French model, it's really based on, on being a generalist. So engineers are generalists and then you can, you can 
you know, uh, being an expert or specialize in something as you go, but everyone has the same base. Uh, you look at the MBA model where you learn about every, um, you know, part of an organization. So you'll do a bit of HR, you'll do a bit of finance. So, so then you have a, a really good perspective of, of what's actually happening and you can join the dots in your head of saying, oh yeah, that's why supply chain is doing this and then sales are doing that. That makes sense. As opposed to be like a small cog somewhere. Um, you're still the cog in the end of the day, but at least you know what the other cogs are doing. So you feel a bit better. Um, but also it's, it's better when you collaborate because you understand where everyone's coming from, right? And so this hyper-specialization, which is more, um, which was more driven by the US or, or a different model where people are hyper-specialized and then that's what they do is not fit for purpose anymore. We need to move more towards generalists. Uh, and, and I would compare like, you know, technology to like languages. I mean, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I just speak one language, it's fine. Like I don't need to speak something else. Uh, and you kind of go, well, technology is the same. It's like, oh, I don't need to speak technology. I'm not going to use it. You're like, really? I mean, yes, you will. And, and you should. So yeah, learn, learn a new language and learn technology. We definitely will now, for sure. Um. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't need to be hard. Like, I mean, if you think about, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, creating a, a website, creating a page on the internet was actually pretty uh, complex, right? Not that HTML is the most complex language, but you had to learn a new language. You had to learn the logic behind it. You had to learn a lot of things. Today, you don't need that. You can just drag and drop. Uh, the logic is still there, but it, uh, way more people can access it. Right? And yeah. it's also free. So, you know, a lot of people can create for free where all the barriers have been lowered, right? So the adoption is massive. But I, I look at my five-year-old and, and, and you might see the same with your son, but like they just pick up an iPad. They don't need anything. You know, they just yeah. go, yep, yeah, that's how it works. You're like, well, how, how did you, like, well, it just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, when where- he, When he was one, he was able to just figure exactly. it out. Unlock and, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Uh, and, and they're learning so much through this. I mean- they're reading physical books as well, which I think is very important, but most of their learning is done online and they get so much out of this. Yeah, yeah. Now to go into some, you know, controversial um, challenges that, that we have. So when we think about, you know, the, the, the positions where, you know, that 20% they referred that earlier, you know, so say positions like, you know, like a taxi driver, right? Where most likely that whole role might be automated very soon, right? Thanks mm -hmm. to Elon Musk, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, you know, will be great. But what happens to all the, you know, Uber drivers? What happens to, you know, the six-year-old uh, person or, you know, 70 who works the whole life that way? And, you know, perhaps it might be too challenging now to retrain, right? So, now, some countries, I think, are doing better than others. Uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about yeah. Singapore here, right? That they've developed fantastic programs like, um, you know, Skills Future, where people have been constantly, you know, becoming aware that there is a need for them to be retrained. But, you know, the reality is that we won't be able to touch everyone, right? So yeah. what happens to them? Is it, you know, universal income, uh, a solution there, maybe? Yeah, I mean, and, and the universal, uh, you know, basic income uh, has been a, a great conversation. And I, I'm also on the uh, faculty at Singularity University and, and with my colleagues, we're talking about this on a regular basis as well. I, I think um, I, I think it would be it would be great to have it. And, and specifically, if the pace of change uh, is really, really fast, then, then you need that. 
But what, what I'm thinking about Uber is a great example, right? Uh, didn't exist. Then you had taxi drivers. Then Uber arrived, takes five, six years. And then now you have plenty of Uber drivers. And you kind of go, well, did Uber like train all those people? Did they go and say, hey, do you want to be a, do you want to drive? Do you, no, they didn't do any of that. They just showed the opportunity and say, hey, if you want to work and be your own boss and making X dollar an hour and driving your own car and you don't need to subscribe to be a taxi and all the rest of it, so lower the barrier to entry, then they got masses of people. And when I ask them, every time I'm on an Uber, I'm like, what were you doing before? Were you a taxi driver? They're like, no, I'm an accountant. I'm actually doing this. I'm doing that. I'm just doing two hours today. So it, Uber is the first that, or not the first, but at least at scale, that really was able to bring an opportunity and say, hey, anyone can be a, uh, an Uber driver as long as you can drive and you don't have, you know, communal, uh, they do do a background check, of course, but like pretty much 80% of the population could be an Uber driver. And I think that's more of that that we need to see. And when big change happen, it's kind of like, well, cars are not there. What's the next opportunity when cars are not there? Well, there will be other things. When you look at, um, I think it was 1917 or 18, where um, horses were everywhere uh, in the street and carriage and they were carrying people around. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, Ford and all the others came with, with cars, no more horses. So what about all the people that were working with horses? Well, they all moved into something else in the space of five years, you know, because human beings are like, well, if I can't do work with this, let me find another way to survive, right? And so people readjust to other things. Now, if the pace is instant, like, you know, the COVID, which was instantaneous, like overnight, almost like we need to work from home, you need to have yeah. the infrastructure. Because a lot of people were joking about this saying, imagine if COVID happened in 1980. You know, where the phone wow. was actually uh, not really the same as today, where connectivity wasn't the same. Like people would just be home saying, well, can't really work. So can't really watch uh, anything really. It would be very different, right? Yeah. So today my take is we need to build this infrastructure so then we don't do the work for people of, of saying this is what you're going to be doing, but we show opportunities, right? And we make sure we lower the barrier to entry for everyone. So then people can say, well, today I'm doing that. I'm passionate about this. It's actually something that's going to trend. I'm going to do this. You look at influencers, right? Five years ago, 10 years ago, what was that? You know, YouTube channel where you can put some videos. People I still don't thought, know. I still don't know what yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah, 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 me neither. Uh, it's a great ad machine. But, um, but people went there and now, you know, TikTok overnight had millions of people uh, having millions of followers that then they can turn into a business. And say, hey, I have, I have a reach. I can create anything. And so I think that that's really having the opportunity and, and, and having algorithm, because there is a, a really interesting theory uh, on algorithm as well. You can't have on a, on a two-sided marketplace or on something like Twitter or elsewhere, you can't have something that, that only focuses on, on the first people that join because there is no incentive for others to join there as well. And so you know, on TikTok, they've changed that which is if I'm new to TikTok and I post a video, it will be shown to a lot of people. And if it's good, I might, I might get traction. If it's not, I have another shot. As opposed to Twitter, where before I have a lot of followers and it's tweeted to a lot of people, it will take a lot of time, right? So lowering those barriers to entry for a lot of people enable people to pivot fast. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that TikTok example that there was a, there was a wife preparing lunch for her husband. And she was very particular about how the lunchbox would look like. So she, you know, she was cutting apples in the shape of star or something like that. 
Anyway, wow. um, yeah, she got, uh, you know, to 2 million followers or something in a few weeks. And now she's, you know, that's her business. Exactly. And, and again, that's, that was her passion. So, so, so that's the ability to reach out to so many people about something that you're passionate about. What, what we see with, you know, influencers is that they don't, most of them can't really fake it. So you have to do it so many times. You have to do a video. You need to do something on something you're passionate. And yeah. chances are there will be other people that want to look at this. I mean, there were people like, you know, people looking at like water dripping from a hose for hours. They're like fireplace where you can, it's just like, you never know what's going to trend, but it just does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you suggest taking a step back now and, you know, you being working with the organization's leaders for a long time now. So, you know, for, for the ones that are quite new for, to this conversation, mm -hmm. how do you suggest that they prepare for, you know, this AI related disruption? I think AI is is gonna is is gonna do a lot of damage to um, to people who are not ready to change, who are not prepared to evolve. You know, um, and 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 everyone, you know, no one. Let's say no one is really safe. You know, uh, and and I see that every day as being an entrepreneur, people are like, oh, you know, you're, you're doing well, your company is doing well, yeah, yeah, but tomorrow it can stop you know like, what do you mean like it's, it's not possible yeah well it is and in fact it's not really true but it's the mindset i will carry on and you know for a long time because otherwise you start being too comfortable you know uh i remember when i was in the armed forces that there was something that everyone was very conscious about of saying well what were you into combat or any other places you always you know um uh, you're alert all the time you, you don't want to be uh, at a point where you think that, you know, you, you're going to be fine. Uh, and, and I've seen that, uh, you know, in, in, in a lot of other workplaces where people are constantly trying to evolve and change. Uh, and I think that's very healthy, right? Uh, it's very healthy to also um, focus on things that either you're good at or you're passionate about. I think if I want advice for, 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 for people is that don't try to do something just because others are doing it. That's obvious. Yeah. Uh, but it. sometimes we fall into the trap of doing this, right? Like, well, apparently data science is the thing. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Well, are you passionate about this? What are you actually passionate about? And your example on TikTok and other places is like, if you're passionate about something, chances are you're pretty good at it. And if you're passionate and put the work, then you should be in a good place to actually leverage that. And in today's world, there is no limit. I mean, if, if someone has millions of followers by getting Apple in a certain way and making the lunch boat that way, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of like, and I love that because that person is just like, look, it's just what I do. If you like to, 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 to watch it. And others are like, you know, I, I do the lunchbox every day. I'm like, eh, that's, that's actually really good. What, what kind of this? But because if my daughter is eating more apple because I cut them in triangle, geez, I'm going to do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so follow your passion. Don't stay still uh, and, and keep going and embrace technology. You know, don't fear technology. Yeah. Very, very good advice. Now, we've been talking a lot about, you know, what, what we can expect in the next five to 10 years, but any final words in relation to, I guess, this intersection of excitement and fear, right? So, well, firstly, I think the message from you is let's put fear aside and let's focus yeah. on what we can do better. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, fear um, fear should be, should be the, 
the, the oil, you know, that, that keeps the, the thing going because you, you, you fear of, you know, something will happen. Fear can paralyze you. If fear starts to paralyze you or like you can't move or, or you're stagnant, that's where you, you, you need to actually stop fearing. <laughs> uh, and, um, but, but yeah, not, not staying still and, and always learning is kind of important. Um, but, um, but looking at the bright side as well. I mean, we, we saw how the world came together in a lot of places uh, when, when tragedy happened, you know, like uh, um, COVID, we had tsunami, we had, we had things around us, especially in New Zealand over the last you know, two or three weeks, we had, we had everything. Uh, but, uh, but people came together, people were, um, you know, um, I think coming together is the thing that I would want to see more of. I see how, you know, social media and other things have now moved into really, um, you know, splitting people, devising, uh, and I don't think that, that that's the right thing. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people that, that, that believe in things because they, they read them and, you know, everyone is like that. If you read only one thing and if the, the feed that you read is reinforcing that every day, no matter how smart you are, you're going to start believing those things, right? And so... I think coming together more than being divisive uh, will we'll, uh, get our brain a bit of a rest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people trying to find you, what's the best way? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably uh, where, I mean, unless you come to New Zealand, Auckland, uh, then you can see me there. But virtually, uh, that's probably uh, more where I'm at. Uh, so LinkedIn, uh, first port of call. I'm also on the... Uh, uh, expert faculty on Singularity University. So you can find me there as well uh, on the, uh, the list uh, there of faculties. Uh, but yeah, LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest. Um, and yeah, we can put a link on, on when you publish the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here, Vincent. And thanks everyone for listening. No, thanks, Kelly. It was amazing. Thank you.